the old pilot's plain tales. Cloud suck. Cloud suck is a phenomenon commonly known in paragliding, hang gliding and sailplane flying where pilots experience significant lift due to a thermal underneath the base of a cumulus cloud, especially towering cumulus and cumulonimbus. Towering cumulus clouds can often be harbingers of destruction, and for pilots they should be respected and generally avoided by a wide margin. There is, however, a breed of pilot willing to court the danger present in these meteorological monsters. The violent updrafts and downdrafts, the heavy rain and hail, the turbulence, the freezing temperatures and the lightning. These pilots fly some of the lightest aircraft around, sailplanes, but are willing to take the risks as the rewards can be remarkable. Some pilots succeeded in taming the beasts like the veteran pilot who sadly passed away earlier this year at the ripe old age of 96, Derek Piggott. Let me take you back to 1953 when Derek was flying in a basic open cockpit two-seat glider with an unfortunate air cadet beside him. Without oxygen, he took the aircraft into a large cumulus cloud over Derbyshire and when he and his co-pilot were nearly frozen stiff, he abandoned the climb and headed out of the cloud at 17,000 feet. Derek and his cadet were actually participating in the National Gliding Championship in an air cadet gliding school, T-21 Zedberg, and his flight established a British two-seater altitude record. A couple of years later, he tried a similar feat when he was flying out of the gliding centre at Lasham, just a few miles up the road from where I sit right now. Piggott was the chief flying instructor, and he was there in slacks and a shirt, gazing upwards at the sky. It was a warm and muggy day, and cumulus clouds had been piling up all morning, an ideal day for gliding until fingers of lightning began to spike out of the cloud bank a few miles from the airfield. A winch tow was out of the question since nobody wanted to be attached to a couple of thousand feet of steel cable when there was lightning about, so Derek arranged for their tiger moth to give him an aero tow. He wanted to take advantage of the conditions to attempt his Gold Sea Height Gain Award, for which he needed to climb his glider over 3,000 metres and possibly if the conditions were good enough, his diamond sea for a gain of 5,000 metres at 16,404 feet. An RAF friend had been flying his fighter in the area and had confirmed that the tops of the cumulus reached 30,000 feet, so the attempt was on. Derek clambered into the little cockpit of the club's new Slingsby Skylark sailplane, and with the tiger moth pulling him airborne, he followed the tow up to around 1,800 feet. When he released the tow cable, he pushed the stick hard forward to dive 100 feet, which would put a notch on the barograph height recorder and indicate that he had cut free from the tow, and he heeled the skylark onto its wingtip to make it clear to the moth pilot that he had released. 
bringing his glider back to a more normal speed, the noise and vibration of the tow died away, and the loud whistle of air dropped to a quiet hiss. Easing up to the edge of the storm, he felt for the lift and soon found it. His variometer started to show that he was climbing, and he spiralled up towards the cloud base. Soon he disappeared into the murky depths of the cloud as he followed the invisible column of air that was rapidly pulling him higher and higher. Flying on instruments alone, he was on the rim of the storm, and timing his climb, he calculated that he was soaring upwards at a comfortable 14 feet per second, fast but not dangerous. A little after four o'clock in the afternoon, and still fairly warm in the snug cockpit, he passed 12,000 feet. He was approaching the icing level, and still smoothly climbing, until he suddenly hit trouble. Passing 14,000 feet, he was violently jolted forwards, as the little aircraft was slammed into a downdraft and then heaved up again. A screeching howl came from above his head, where the clamps that kept the wing in place were twisted, and he had to tighten his straps and brace hard back into the seat to keep his head from being banged about. The altimeter needle was swinging back and forth, and the beads in the variometer dancing up and down. He began to regret that he hadn't worn anything more substantial than his short-sleeved shirt and slacks, because if he had to bail out, it could be the end of him. The squeaking wing clamps were soon drowned out with the deafening rattle of hail and heavy rain pounding the glider, splattering over the canopy. He had flown in plenty of clouds, but nothing like this. A wind shear brought his speed up to 50 knots, and he had to use his air brakes to bring the bucking Skylark back under control. The bucking eased, and suddenly he was hissing upwards again. As the hail stopped, the cloud around him was suddenly lit up, like an enormous flashbulb had fired. No thunder, but his world was illuminated by lightning, and he could feel a tingle of electricity through the control stick and rudder pedals. Still no thunder, but then jagged stalks of lightning, many half an inch thick, began to lash at his glider. Then a blinding bolt smashed into the cockpit with the sound of a pistol shot. The bolt flashed between the rudder pedals and filled the cockpit with a stench of ozone, and although the electricity continued to thrash the little aircraft, it was quiet again. Just the whistle of the slipstream. In the distance he could hear the booms of thunder, and again the lightning snicked into the cockpit. This time it felt like his control column had been plugged into a power socket, and his arm ached as the shocks ran through him again and again. He couldn't let go of the stick, he just had to endure the pain, and there was no kidding himself any more, he was truly scared. The last bolt to go through him made him yell out loud, but as he continued to climb, he spiralled into less violent conditions, and the lightning eased away. Now he felt a new concern. 
he began to feel a little light-headed and knew that he was starting to suffer from hypoxia, a lack of oxygen, and it was getting worse. There was nothing he could do. The little skylark had no oxygen, so he continued upwards. Changing his course, he straightened out, but the compass wasn't indicating properly and the controls felt stiff. He was icing up. He could feel the ice forming, and soon he needed both hands on the stick just to move it. He took a chance and he heaved the stick from side to side, and the glider leapt upwards as the ice fell away. He could fly again, but the ice was also building on the nose and the leading edges of his wings. His trim tab was as far as it could go to counter the weight, and he began to worry that his pitot tube was icing up. As he tried to work out what might be wrong with his instruments, he realised he wasn't sure whether his altimeter read six or 16,000 feet. He opened up the little window on the side of the perspex canopy and tried to breathe some fresh air, but he was giggling like a child and squinting at the instruments to try to read them properly and he realised that he was passing 17,000 feet and then 18,000 feet and still going up. He tried to remember his plan and how high he needed to get to be awarded his diamond C, but he wasn't sure anymore, so he decided to continue to 19,000 feet and then head out of the cloud. He knew he was getting hypoxic. His eyelids felt as heavy as sandbags and his head lolled around and seemed difficult to lift up. The thermal was still very strong and as he squinted at the altimeter he realised it read 20,000 feet and he knew it was time to go. He felt limp in his straps and close to fainting. So he put his fingers through the little side window to deflect some cold air onto his face. He eased out his air brakes, and the hissing airstream quietened as he slowed. He began to descend, but another updraft caught him, and in his confused state he thought, I might as well go up again, just to make sure. Popping the air brakes back in, he shot upwards, and as the skylark spiralled round, Derek Piggott sank limply back into his seat. He had no recollection of the next few minutes as his faithful little glider flew him into the record books. He was now an unconscious passenger along for the ride. The trace on his paragraph was the only thing to record his story as it quietly ticked along, the needle tracing his height onto the rotating cylinder. Derek climbed so fast that the trace actually left a curving line on the smoke paper that leant backwards. An instrument that was only designed to cope with a six-kilometre climb, which could only reach 23,200 feet, the needle flew right off the top of the recording paper. How he flew the aircraft in his semi-conscious state, he had no idea. But as he dove his aircraft down again, the trace restarted. Afterwards, it would be checked and double-checked, and by carefully extending the visible lines on the paper, it was possible to confirm that he had climbed above 25,000 feet. He didn't remember coming round, but slowly consciousness returned, and he was able to look around the cockpit. 
He was already down to 16,000 feet, and he slammed open the air brakes to hasten his descent. Down and down he spiralled through the dense cloud until eventually he popped through the overcast into a mix of rain and hail. Deeply breathing the thick, cold air, he felt awful. Looking through the weather, he spied the hospital in Alton, the town local to Lasham. He flew round and round it, but in his confused state he couldn't remember how to get to the airfield. Several times he started to head west, but then he became anxious and didn't want to leave the familiarity of the town because he felt truly lost. Eventually, as the rain died away, he was able to ease his way over to the airfield and he finally found himself circling above the park gliders, 6,000 feet below, that he had been amongst only an hour and a quarter previously. When he finally skidded the skylark to a stop on the grass, he could barely climb from the cockpit. He was in a bad state, and so was his aircraft. A lightning had burnt holes in the glider's fiberglass nose and scarred the fabric covering. There were slits and slashes all over the aircraft from the hailstones and the ice that had built up on the wings. The rudder had been hit by lightning and it had ripped away a large portion from one side, leaving an ugly burn. It took Derek Piggott two days to recover properly, but he was awarded both his Diamond Sea, and in doing so he had achieved a British glider climb record. Derek went on to enjoy a charmed life as a pilot, featuring in the movie those magnificent men in their flying machines, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and the Red Baron, as well as the Blue Max, where he was enlisted as one of several pilots who helped recreate the live dogfight scenes for the film. However, he was the only stunt pilot to agree to fly the stunt that forms the climax of the film. The two rival pilots challenge each other to fly beneath the spans of a bridge over a river, taking the role of both German pilots, and with multiple takes from different camera angles, Derek ended up flying through the wide span of the bridge, which was actually an island, 15 times. The wide span had a comfortable amount of room, but the story required the pilots to compete by flying through a narrower portion. The two Fokker replicas had about four feet just over a metre of clearance on each side when passing through the narrow span. It was an amazing feat to do just once, but Derek had to fly through the span 17 times to get all the shots that were required. The danger that Piggott put himself through wasn't just due to the lack of oxygen he encountered during his record flight. The perils of lightning strikes are severe, particularly in sailplanes that are constructed from glass-reinforced plastics. Let me quickly tell you about a training glider that was operating from a site in the UK near Dunstable. The aircraft was a Schleicher ASK-21 two-seat glider, and the instructor was undertaking the last flight of the day since a line of weather could be seen slowly moving into the area. Thunderstorms had been forecast, so winch launches had been stopped, but aircraft tows were still available. 
Having been towed up to over 2,000 feet, the pilots had soared up to 4,000 feet before returning to the airfield along the front edge of the weather. They were in smooth air, being gently lifted at two or three knots when a bolt of lightning reached out and struck the glider on the right wing. The power of the strike, which was conducted along the control rods that run inside the wings, caused such an overpressure that it literally blew the wing open. The combination of the aerodynamic forces and the vast increase of pressure inside the structure of the glider caused it to literally disintegrate. The instructor remembered hearing an enormous bang and then feeling very drafty, he may have lost consciousness for a moment. Dazed, he knew that something was seriously amiss and he shouted to his student to abandon the glider Deafened by the noise, the student couldn't hear anything. However, he had already decided that he should get out of the stricken aircraft and he jumped for his life. The instructor reached to jettison the canopy and then realized it wasn't necessary. It had been blown off. Both pilots managed to get out safely and by 1800 feet they were hanging beneath the canopies of their parachute. The student landed on the roof of a disused petrol station near a busy road, but escaped serious injury. The instructor, unfortunately, broke his ankle on landing, as well as suffering sooting on his jacket, parachute pack and the back of his head as a result of the lightning strike. They were lucky, and the Air Accident Investigation Board made several recommendations to glider manufacturers to try and prevent future occurrences. If you've enjoyed this story, then please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com.